Welcome back in to the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason. Hey, how's it heading? I just uploaded lesson five of 39 in my course on the catechism of the Catholic Church. I'm really excited about it. You can listen to it on audio format anywhere you where you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon, wherever. Or you can just hop over to St. Dominicsmedia.com. That's St. Dominicsmedia.com. Go to the Catechism of Catholic Church course and watch it in video format. It's really good. In this talk, I am explaining the second part to the Nicene Constantinople Creed, beginning with We Believe in One Lord Jesus Christ. These are paragraphs 422 to 682. So a lot there that I'm unpacking. And I'm interested in hearing whether I made a great case for the dogma of impassibility. Let me know if it makes sense to you or not. I felt like when I was recording it, I could have added two more, one or two more examples, but I passed on it. It was my first time really trying to explain in detail our dogma in the Catholic Church on why Jesus did not experience the changing of emotions and, and why, and therefore, how do we make sense of that part of the creed where it says that he suffered, Jesus suffered, being that God doesn't suffer like we do. So let me know what you think. That's Catechism of the Catholic Church by David L. Gray. Check it out there. I appreciate it. Speaking of teaching, <laughs> this is a funny story. So I was subbing in the seventh grade class last week and overheard some group of girls over there talking. Um, at the beginning of class, and one of them said, Mr. Gray is cute for a sub. Mr. Gray is cute for a sub. I don't even know what that means. All right? Are like substitute teachers just walking around butt ugly somewhere and scaring these poor kids? Like, I, I am so confused. Like, or, or what if I wasn't a sub, but just a regular teacher? Would I still be cute? <laughs> or am I only cute for a sub? I'm like, what, what's going on? Or... Or what if it's like another profession altogether? Like, what am I just cute for a sub, but not like if I was like a professional football coach, I'll just be getting by. <laughs> These kids are weird. All right. So, and I don't even know who calls a full grown man cute anyway. That's not even a thing. Um, so, yeah, that, that was funny. But, okay, here's my, my thesis for this show. Sometimes you hear Trad say that the Norris Ordo. Mass just needs to go away, right? I, I'm not of that crowd. I just say the Norris Order needs some serious reform. But you do have some Norris Order Catholics saying that the ancient reformed Roman Rite, ancient reformed Roman Rite, I like to call it, uh, traditional Latin Mass by another name, they say that it needs to be just put down like a vicious dog. Yeah. You have some Catholics that just prefer clown masses, uh, whatever, right? But here are the facts. I think both groups just need to calm down because I think traditional Catholicism is going to die nearly as soon as Norvis Ordo Catholicism. So, trads, you just have to stop thinking you're better than everyone else. And Norvis Ordo Catholics, you can just stop having a panic attack about your altar girls going away. God is not pleased with any of us right now. And he hasn't been for a very long time. And I, th I believe he's in the process, has been in the process for a very long time, of busting Catholicism down to the raw essentials and, and leaving barely anything left on the shelves 
at all once he's done. Nothing's going to be there. It's going to be very small. And that's going to be my commentary today. So let's get into it. Hovering over the skies of a post-Christian society, we have spotted a man with a donut in one hand and rosary beads in another. Child, I'm about to whoop Satan's behind. He is boldly proclaiming truth and reason like no rigid Catholic ever has before. The David L. Gray Show begins now. All right, real quick before we get into what I'm getting into here with you um, today, I'd like to just address some of the followers over at the Reason and Theology YouTube channel. I read your comments about me, and no, I am not a rad trad. Ask any rad trad whether David L. Gray is a rad trad, and they'll tell you no, I'm not. I have no problem with radical traditionalists. I admire anyone who does anything radically as long as it's moral because I think a lot it takes a lot of commitment and, and fortitude to live your life in a radical way, and I love people with fortitude. For example, I, I love the heck out of Amish and Mennonites for <laughs> still riding behind a stinky horse, a stinky horse's butt in a carriage. Horses stink to me. And then they're waving their little tail or whatever. It's, it's odorous to be. But they do it. I, I admire that. That's a incredible way to live. Making cabinets out of wood. I think that's radical, right? I, I love that. I wouldn't buy one. I think a, I can get some fine chivalry at Ashley's or Ikea. But I admire it. It's radical. But I can never be a rat trad. Just for the basic reason. Listen. I prefer the Norvis Oro liturgical calendar and lectionary. Mainly because it's important. No, that's not the right word. Because it's foundationally essential for me and my backstory <laughs> to state that I was confirmed a Catholic on the feast day of St. Dominic. That means that's important to me. I have a very huge devotion to St. Dominic. And he, his feast day is August 8th, not August 4th, like the rat trash think. Look, August 4th makes no sense to my backstory whatsoever. August 8th, 2006, it breaks down to 888. I think that's really cool. Fascinating backstory. August 4th, 2006, 848. What's that? I, I don't get it. So there's other reasons why I can never be a radical traditionalist. But that's the, fun, uh, the foundational one. So stop calling me that, guys. Also, reason and theology, David L. Gray haters. My book... The Divine Symphony was not a defense of the Norvis Aura. If you think that it was, you either did not read the book or your reading comprehension skills are at like a third grade level. Fact. The book is not about um, defending any liturgical right. It's about liturgy in general, the love and beauty and truth of liturgy. And about not about one liturgical right So, in particular. So calm down. Okay, now let's do some healthy myth-busting. Now that I did a little bit of myth-busting by me being a rad trap. But this will help us get out of our emotions and back into reality. So the first myth I want to bust down is that the ancient Reformed Roman Rite, I like to call it, 
commonly called the traditional Latin mass. The myth of that, and the myth is that it's growing. Now you hear this all the time, it's growing, we're busting at the seams. In a sense, I think it is. I mean, just from the optics, the masses are more full, they're fuller than the Norfolk's Ordo. But that's only because the supply is smaller. I think there is an argument that if there was more, a, a bigger supply of traditional Latin masses, that there would be, that they would attract more Catholics and converts. But the fact is that today, the vast majority of traditional Latin mass communities consist of just people who were just former Norvis Ordo Catholics. Also, just as many um, Norvis Ordo communities have also have big OCIA classes, just as big and as just as many as some traditional light mass communities. So I know we've been have become accustomed to saying that the traditional, traditional light mass communities are growing. They're busting at the same. There's no room in here. But that's not really true. Of course, 50 Norvis Ordo churches are going to be more empty than two traditional Latin mass communities. It's supply, demand. Moreover, we're, we're honestly, we're just swapping herpes at this point. We're swapping herpes strands at this point. You may not know this, but 30, 33% of Americans do and about 45% of people under 25 do. People with herpes don't spread new herpes to each other. They just swap strands. And that's what we're doing with these communities. If that's too gross for you, <laughs> is that too gross of an analogy? Okay. Check this one out. A KFC on a Saturday has three, have about 300 customers on a Saturday, right? Um, a Chick-fil-A moves in next door. Instantly, the KFC is now pulling just 100 customers rather than 300. And the Chick-fil-A is pulling in about 220. So... That's really only a, like a real market growth, about 20 customers. And, and some of those customers, some of those 20 might go to KFC on Sunday. So the growth, that growth isn't even real. They're just swapping chickens. <laughs> and I think the traditional Latin mass community also has gotten as far as they can by saying that the Norvis Order Mass sucks and Pope Francis is bad. Negative advertising has a hard cap. Until we get more men and women who are like positively evangelizing the truth and beauty of traditional Latin Mass, such as, I don't know, Father Dave Nix, um, Dina over at Catholic Wife, like the Mass of Ages um, series, and also really just more supply of these Masses, which isn't going to happen. I just don't see a real growth moving forward. I think we're, I think we're, we're, we're maxing out. I think it's, we have to hit the cap. Second... The second myth is that the ancient and reformed Roman rites is the true solution, the end-all solution. You know, I always pump a break whenever I hear that refrain, that these things won't happen if we just return to the mass of ages. Liturgical abuse wouldn't happen if we just go back to traditional that mass. You sound ignorant of history and just basic common sense with that refrain. It is, it's not the fix-all, end-all. Because there was liturgical abuse prior to 1962. There was was speedy low masses that took about 15, 30 minutes. There are priests mumbling the mass. They weren't saying Latin at all. There was abuse. It just wasn't licensed abuse as we see in the Norvis Order today. Most importantly, we're talking about the culture culture that celebrated the traditional Latin mass, the ancient Reformed Roman Rite. Almost exclusively, that community is the same community that birthed so much of the arrogance and evil we see in the church today. 
Sure, they may have presented a reverent liturgy and wore nice iron black cassocks during the day, but this was the culture that gave us the child molesters and those who enabled and hid the child molesters. This is the same culture that couldn't wait to put their nuns in pantsuits after the Vatican II and turn their seminaries into gay bathhouses. There was a sickness deep within the church that used the post-conciliar Vatican II as their coming out party. After Vatican II was over, these devils played It's Raining Man, um, The Boys Are Back in Town, I'm Coming Out, all the other sodomite anthems you can think of, they played them. This is an unpopular thing for Catholics to hear, but I'm going to say it. The Catholic, that Catholic culture I just spoke of didn't deserve such a beautiful liturgy as the traditional Latin Mass or the ancient Reformed Roman Rite, whatever you want to call it. It didn't deserve it, flat out. And perhaps that, that's why God permitted it to go away. God knows how sick the church was, is. God knew how ugly it had become is. And in return, he gave us an ugly liturgy. Ugly people get ugly things. Yet in his mercy, he still allowed Jesus Christ, his son, to dwell with us, the Holy Eucharist. If you're old enough and you, you've committed enough sin, you, and you, you can probably bear witness to something in your own life where God allows you to lose something beautiful, something good something lovely that he allows you to lose because of your irreverence, because of your blasphemy, because you're a host of other sins, all the things that you're involved in that invade against God. He took it away from you. He allowed it to go away. Go away. And, and perhaps you learned your lesson after you lost what was good, what was beautiful, what was true. And that is where we're at now in a Catholic church today. And we're going to keep losing things until they're all stripped away. We're being busted down because of our sins, because of the sick culture. We don't deserve good things. We've been hearing reports about Port Francis being ready to publish another shakedown of dioceses who are still allowing priests to, um, priests and religious orders to still celebrate the Roman rite without restrictions. Perhaps that's true. If it's true, we deserve it. Reports are also coming out that receiving Holy Eucharist in the hand is going to become the ordinary way to receive communion throughout at least the Vatican and perhaps the whole world. No more communion on the tongue anywhere. Perhaps that's true. If it is, we deserve it. Every now and then, God will permit someone like King Ahab, who, who had his own Pachamama moment, and through the influence of Jezebel, led his people into worshiping a false god, Baal. And God allows such evil like this to come about so that he can bring about a great good. Without the destruction of faith by King Ahab, we don't have the reforms of King Josiah. But when you read stories like the one I'm about to read you, you realize how much further we have to fall and be busted down and stripped down. Born in 1956, the recently retired Bishop Robert Byrne was raised as a child in the ancient and reformed Roman Rite. 
That's the that's the church he grew up in. That's the community. That's the culture. He he's probably an altar boy. He entered Birmingham Oratory, an English Catholic religious community, in 1980. In March 2014, Pope Francis appointed him an auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Birmingham. On the 4th of February 2019, Pope Francis appointed Byrne as the next bishop of Hexham in Newcastle. And just recently, Bishop Byrne has been reported to the police following an allegation of abuse made against him by a Catholic priest. The story continues at the Catholic Herald. The Oratorian stepped down as Bishop of Hexman in Newcastle in December, almost a decade before he was due to retire, saying that the demands of his office were too great of a burden and that he would return to the Oxford Oratory. Last week, however, the Vatican's congregation of bishops launched an investigation for in-depth reports into the events leading up to Bishop Burns' resignation, which will be overseen by Archbishop Malcolm McManon of Liverpool. The inquiry comes amid reports of reports in the press of a gay sex parties orgies at the Cathedral House during the lockdown of 2020, which were said to be attended by Miss Rory, a local drag queen. There is no evidence to suggest that Bishop Byrne was present at the parties or knew of them. Concerns were raised, however, over attempts by Bishop Byrne to move Timothy Gardner into Cathedral House even though the former Dominican priest was convicted in 2014 of making 5,005 images of child pornography, many graded at level four or five, the most extreme one depicting the bestiality with children. The Catholic Herald has now learned that Bishop Byrne was himself reported to the police in December, after an allegation of abuse was made against him by a priest from another diocese to his bishop. And the story continues. I'll post a link to it in the description box so you can read it yourself. I think what God has been showing us and has been showing us and, and giving us enough signs for a very long time, at least since Vatican II, he's been showing us this, is that he is not pleased with what we have been doing with his church, his church. The ongoing dirt is still coming out about all these pedophile priests all around the world. This church wants to conform itself to the world. We see that it wants to be like the world, not like Christ. The body of Christ wants to be like the world. Imagine that. It's refusing to tell people that there is no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. A papacy today that openly teaches heresy on marriage, on the Holy, on the Holy Eucharist, and on homosexuality. Openly teaching heresy on these three things. A church that pollutes the Vatican with heathens and enemies of God. Pro-abortionists running all around the Vatican. Eugenicists running all around. A church that continues these homosexual urge, or, orgies in the Vatican, 
who spends our offerings on evil and promoting the work of Satan. I was recently listening to an interview over at the Catholic Drive Time show with Joe McClain. This was the last interview with journalist George Newmeyer. Um, and may the Lord have mercy on his soul. George wasn't a friend of mine. We only chatted once in a green room at a Catholic at a church militant conference we were both speaking at. He was a very nice man. Uh, he wanted to come on my show. Um, I hate that, you know, you know, sometimes you think people are just going to be around. Oh, I get to that, you know, but you know, time is never on our side. So I wish I would have been able to get him on. But anyway, in, in this interview, the Catholic Drive Time show, he was talking about the myth that Catholicism is growing in Africa. Some parts, maybe, but not in places in Africa and West Africa like um, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, former, former uh, country that was run by the French. In Cote d'Ivoire, he said Catholicism is essentially dead there. George said in that country, uh, that country has two of the largest Catholic cathedrals in all of Africa, but everyone is converting to Islam there. The cardinal doesn't even live near the cathedral. During the Christmas tide, after Christmas this year, the bishop was on vacation. The Catholic faith is dead there because the people there see it as a joke, while Islam is being taken seriously. The public prayers, they have public prayers, they have public devotions, people dress seriously, Muslims dress seriously, they worship seriously, they, 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 they're reverent to, the, to their false god, they, the, the faith looks serious, and people want serious, they don't want clown masses. And this is a global phenomenon, and God is in the process of taking it all down. We may not see it in our lifetime, it may not all crumble in our lifetime, but we are witnessing the takedown of the Catholic Church by God, the busting down of it. And it's good that we are seeing it. It's going to make us humble, make us appreciate what we have and what we lost. Pope Benedict said it this way. We have no need of a church that celebrates the cult of action in political prayers. It is utterly superfluous. Therefore, it will destroy itself. What will remain is the church of Jesus Christ. The church that believes in a God who has become man and promises life beyond death. The kind of priest who is no more than a social worker can be replaced by, the, by a psychotherapist and other specialists. But a priest who is no specialist, who does not stand on the sidelines watching a game, giving official advice, but in the name of God, places himself at the disposal of man who is beside them in their sorrows, in their joys, in their hope, and in their fear. Such a priest will certainly be needed in the future. Let's go a step further, he says. From the crisis of today, the church of tomorrow will emerge. A church that has lost much. She will become small and will have to start afresh, more or less, from the beginning. So that's just where we're at in the Catholic Church today. God is cleansing his temple. He's breaking us down. He's busting us down. And we're going to get very small. And that's good that we're almost going to die. 
It may even look like an apparent death. But seeds have to die before they can grow. They just have to. And again, this may have been something you've seen in your own life. That once you, you, if you lost it all, right, how humbling that was. And hopefully you've turned to God. And in turning to God, you may have had the same experience as Job, right? You lost it all. You turned to God. And what did God do? God gave you double for your trouble, right? He restored you. And that's what's going to happen in the Catholic Church. God's going to break it down. We're going to lose everything. But in the end, God is going to give us double for our trouble, right? It's going to be a tremendous blessing. You and I may not live to see it, but that's exactly what we're witnessing. That's what's going on right now. So what do we do? What's the work that we have to do right now? Well, the work that we have to do is the same work that we've been called to from the beginning, to be holy, to don't sin, to receive the sacraments worthily, to cooperate with God, his grace, to conform with that. God just wants to conform us to the image of his son. That's it. So we have to cooperate with his grace in that work um, through the liturgy of the mass, which is there to divinize us. So that's the work. And um, so let's continue to pray for each other that that work in us that God began, that he sees it through to its completion. And also, it doesn't mean that, um, that you know, we stop evangelizing that we stop bringing people into the Catholic church. No, we, we, we still do that. Um, God is still in the business of saving souls. There's still no salvation outside of Catholic church, even though the church is becoming smaller. The, the work remains the same. So let's keep doing the work. So, but that, that's all I know about that. Let me, let me know what you think about uh, my monologue here in the comments below. But until then, and until next time, blessings and shalom to you and to yours. Thank you.